Hello, everyone. It's your old pal, Joe. Yes, that's right. It's me. It's Joe. This is Strange Sound. Welcome to Strange Sound. Episode 35. I am recording this. I, Joe, am recording this episode of Strange Sound the weekend before the November general election. This is actually, this is Saturday, uh, Halloween. I'm recording this. So, everyone be afraid. Be very afraid. There's lots of reasons to be afraid this Halloween. God knows. Substantive reasons. Not fanciful reasons. As there usually are on Halloween. In Halloween's past. Oh, the good old days when we could just be afraid of hobgoblins. Instead of, uh, I don't know. COVID. Instead of. Massive interventions in our election by crazy people instead of like gun-toting idiots um, lining up behind their Cheeto Fuhrer. Uh, Yeah, so there's a lot of things to be anxious about, and I know everyone out there is pretty anxious. This is a very anxious weekend, and it's frustrating, and it's, it's aggravating. Um. This has been a really frustrating year in a lot of different ways and a difficult year for so many people. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, COVID has been a large part of this and the um, economic downturn caused by COVID, all the problems associated with that. People who were already on the edge, who were just thrown off a cliff and now are just trying to scrape together the uh, modest means of a, of a living. Um, they're getting absolutely no help from the federal government right now. All of the stimulus or the recovery funds have, have been expended or most of them anyway. Some of the, some of the uh, business stimulus packages is, is still not spent. Whatever part of the um, cares act was uh, for small business, the paycheck protection part of it, the PPP. Uh, I think there's still some money in that, but not much. And I, I don't know whether it's still authorized to be spent, but in any case, that's really not sort of finding its way to ordinary people. I mean, the the part that was really making a difference for people, and again, this was a limited segment of the population. These were people who were eligible for unemployment insurance. That is not everybody. For a long period in my own life, I was not eligible for unemployment insurance. I worked as a contractor for a very long time. For probably 20 years, I worked as a contractor. So when I was out of work, I couldn't apply for unemployment because there just wasn't anything like that for people like me. 
And uh, I had a safety net because I'm white and I grew up in the suburbs and I had a family and I had a network that I could fall back on if I got into, into huge trouble. So I'm not comparing myself with the folks today that are struggling. There's people out there that are struggling that don't have any of those advantages. And our government has left them out to dry. The Senate has refused to take up any kind of a meaningful package. And the president has just decided, well, well I'm not going to deal with that now. I mean, he pretends like, oh, they're holding me up. They're, they're, holding, they're holding aid hostage. Bullshit. He doesn't want to do it. For some strange reason, he doesn't want to send everybody a check before the election. Just because he's a dick. It's because he thinks he has the formula, right? He thinks he has the formula for re-election, so he's just applying that formula. And I've seen it. They basically, right now, they're they're basically running an ad that sounds tonally, at least, like the Willie Horton ad. It sounds like the same kind of read. It starts in the same way. Biden on the economy, right? And again, I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to uh, run interference for Joe Biden. His campaign can take care of itself. They don't need me for that. All I'm saying is uh, Trump has been trying every Republican election gambit in the book, starting with Nixon, basically just starting with Nixon. And, you know, complaining about the riots, you know, complaining about the burning cities and and there's black people coming after your suburbs. You know, they're going to take over the suburbs. They're, they're going to change the suburbs. Gonna, there goes the suburbs. They're going to put Cory Booker in charge of the suburbs. Why Cory Booker, right? Is it because he's the only black dude Democratic senator and one of only two black dudes in the Senate? Mm, probably. I mean, he he obviously doesn't want to like make an object out of uh, make make a target out of Tim Scott from South Carolina. You know, he's okay with Tim Scott, but uh, Cory Booker, nah, problematic. Jesus, unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, that was that was the original gambit. Was yeah, it's it it's um jobs or mobs. You know, that's they're still running those ads. Uh, the thing they forgot about was <laughs> when Nixon was doing that back in 68, um, the Republicans were not in power at that time. It was a Democratic administration. It was LBJ, right? And LBJ wasn't running, but his vice president was as the nominee. And uh, and Nixon's gambit was simply, well, you know, it's they're under a democratic administration, the cities are burning and there's black people rioting and it's terrible. And you should be very afraid. And if you bring in Nixon, he's going to clean the whole thing up. Law and order, law and order. Well, you know, I mean, Trump tried that and, you know, maybe it works with some people, but guess what? He's president. He's already president. I think I've discussed this on the, uh, on the podcast before, but it's just a weird, it's a weird gambit for someone who's already an incumbent. 
So, you know, I think they kind of, they tried that for a while and they sort of stepped away from it. And, uh, you know, now they're, they're kind of trying a Willie Horton kind of thing, but they're, they're using the economy. They're just like taking, they're taking, uh, Biden's quotes out of context. They're sort of cutting out a little section where he's talking about, you know, I'm going to raise your taxes. Well, he's talking about rich people, right? And I, I personally think Biden's, uh, you know, taking a very narrow view of who should have their taxes raised. But nevertheless, they're trying to make it sound like he's going to raise everybody's taxes. Of course, he's not. Probably not even, you know, enough people's taxes. But anyway, that's their gambit. Um, their closing argument appears to be something akin to uh, the economic argument, though, um when Trump does his Klan rallies, he's still, you know, talking about really narrowly understood topics that he pulls from either Fox News or from Breitbart or from whatever right-wing fever swamp media outlet he happens to be listening to incessantly at that particular time. Usually things that they can, you know, some people in the crowd can latch on to, maybe the QAnon folks. But, you know, for a broader audience, people are kind of scratching their heads, I think. I mean, the economic message is is a, has a little bit more salience, but when you're telling people who are out of work and who are, like, you know, unable to go to their jobs because of the COVID crisis and, you know, who are, who are suffering from, you know, the, the failure of their government to provide additional um, weeks of unemployment, um, and you're telling them, oh no, the economy's great. Everything's great. Uh, we saw, you know, the greatest increase in GDP, uh, in the history of the country. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we fell down a pit and it was the biggest drop in the history of the country, bigger than the, the great depression, more rapid than the great depression. And so, yeah, we climbed, you know, 30% or 35%, sure. But we're still halfway down the hole. We're still nowhere near even the peaked level we were at before. And and mind you, this greatest economy of all time that Trump keeps talking about, uh, it's pretty it's pretty narrowly experienced. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of people who who were struggling before the COVID crisis hit. Listen to Michael Moore's podcast from the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, he talks to some folks in in Michigan, um, particularly an activist friend of his in Detroit. I think his name is Peebles. Uh, listen to what he has to say. And then, you know, apply that to other urban areas around the country and even some rural areas around the country where people are, are freaking hurting. And they're being ignored. They're in fact being ignored by both parties. But I mean, right now they are just being targeted by this administration. And this administration, you know, it can do a little, uh, do a little dance and try to make it seem like they're they're on the side of the ordinary guy. But they're really, they're really not. People are losing their loved ones because of the incompetence of this government. Because when your mission is to destroy the administrative state. There's no way you can put yourself across as like standing up for the little guy or the little woman, right? 
that's not going to work because there's only so much you can do. The rest of it's just a bunch of hand-waving, and that's pretty much what they do. And they think that's going to be enough, and maybe it will. And we'll see in a few days. By the time you hear this, I may not be able to post this until Election Day. We'll see. But if uh, I'm going to try to post this on Monday. But uh, we'll see what's going to happen. We don't know. It's impossible to tell. Very nervous time. And uh, a lot of people are, you know, dreading this. And I can understand it. And uh, the COVID crisis is, once again, getting worse. Even though they're pretending it doesn't exist, it's getting worse. Their position about this is, you know, downplay it and pretend it doesn't exist. And, you know, have these super spreader rallies go around and, you know, get people together by the thousand and they won't be wearing masks and they won't be practicing social distancing. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll go and they'll, they'll spread contagion between each other and then they'll spread it to their families and they'll spread it to their associates. And, you know, that's, that's a terrible thing, but it won't show up until after the election. You know, it'll take a couple of weeks for these events to actually bear fruit in terms of higher caseloads. Meanwhile, Trump can go around saying that it's, you know, the reason why uh, the COVID numbers are so high is because they're, the medical community is ginning them up because they get more money that way. I mean, I don't know what to say about that. The guy's just a tremendous dick, and he needs to go. So please, people, listen to me if you can hear my voice. And I know there's at least 10 of you out there. <laughs> I hope more. <laughs> All I can say is, if there aren't more pretty soon, I'm going to stop doing this. <laughs> because, <laughs> dear me, um, I don't want to just be talking to myself here. But anyway, if you can hear this, if you can hear the sound of my voice, please, if you haven't voted already, go out and vote. Go out and vote. I live in New York State. We were going to do the early voting, my wife and I, but... uh I looked at the lines and it kind of changed my mind. My wife has uh, mobility issues um, and it's been kind of rainy this week and the lines were very long. Some people were waiting in line here in upstate New York for three hours. It's because they have three polling places, three early election, you know, early voting polling locations in the entire county. This is Oneida County. Um, so the entire population of the county is like crowding into these three places. And, you know, the lines are long. They stretch out into the parking lot. And they have a limited number of election workers in there. So we drove by it a couple of times and we we're like, no, I can't do that. But what New York State allowed you to do up until, I think it allows this in, up until election day. So, you know, bear this in mind I and mean, check this out. You can't return an absentee ballot by mail. You can't request one uh, electronically or by mail and then have it returned at this point. The deadline for that, I think, was the 27th of October. But what you can do is fill out the form and bring it down to your local board of elections. Go to the counter. They will take it. I think they'll take it up until election day. 
Now, you know, they may be a little busy on election day, <laughs> but I can tell you, we went, we went on Thursday, I believe it was. It was Wednesday or Thursday. I filled out the forms in advance. I drove down to, I drove my wife down to um, our board of elections, which is in our, in the train station in Utica and went up to the third floor and uh, went into the board of elections office. Uh, I called in advance to make sure that we could do this. And they said, sure. Um, went in there gave them the application. There was no line. There were a couple people there, but no one was really ahead of us. Um, uh, they took our applications. They it took them a few minutes, but they came back with our ballots. We went, we we marked the ballots, and we dropped it in a drop box right there in the office, and that was it. And it took about ten minutes. So you know, if you don't want to wait in that long line, if you're worried about you know voting on election day, and it should be a little bit easier on election day, at least in a place like upstate New York, it should be easier because there's a lot of polling locations. And a lot of people will have early voted, so there'll be less people crowding in on election day. So if you haven't done that and you do live in New York State, and New York State isn't a swing state, I know, but there's, you know, down ballot races and stuff like that. It's pretty important for people to get out there and vote. If you don't want to try to vote on election day in the the usual sense, uh, you might want to give this a try. You can fill out an absentee ballot right there down at the Board of Elections, and they'll take it right there. And it's pretty easy. Anyway, that's my uh, <laughs> that's my five-minute pitch for uh, still trying to vote. And uh, I think you can guess who I want you to vote against. But there you go. It's up to you. Okay, so uh, what I was going to talk to you about today, what I was going to look at a little bit today is just the entire uh, project that we see coming to fruition here. Um, Basically preserving white power. It's basically um, the white power project, right? The white power preservation project. The WPPP. And uh, what am I talking about there? Well, (laughs) it's pretty obvious from how the Republicans are are um, handling this election and particularly the Trump administration, how the Trump administration is handling it and how the Republican Party is handling it more generally, both on the state level and on the national level, it's fairly obvious what their project is, right? I mean, there are demographic changes in the United States that have been ongoing for decades and it's an inexorable process the United States is becoming less white. And the Republican Party is principally a white person party. And right now what they're trying to do and what they've effectively done is minimize the voting power um, of non-white populations and uh, poor populations. Um, So they're... (laughs) They're effectively doing that through a number of different means. Um, now, obviously, the, the you know the big red flag uh, this year is Trump running around yelling fraud, right? Um, so he's openly saying that he's going to challenge the results of the election. He's called mail-in ballots fraudulent. 
um, he's laying out a case in public for not counting ballots that arrive by mail, uh, separating those out and just throwing them out, or not counting any ballots that haven't been counted by midnight on election day, election night, right? He thinks the only ballots that should count are the ones that are counted on election day, and particularly the ones that are cast on election day, because he knows that Republicans are going to tend to um, more or less own election day um, in terms of the numbers of, of voters. And that uh, maybe the early vote might slightly favor Democrats and the mail-in votes might uh, slightly favor Democrats or substantially favor Democrats. They know this. Trump knows this, or at least his handlers know this, and that's why he's attacking it. Like everything else, he attacks anything that that uh, threatens his privilege and his power. And by extension, you know, the privilege and power of the white minority, the conservative white minority. And that's uh, that's pretty obvious, right? So that's the really obvious part. The somewhat more subtle part is the, you know, appointment of judges, justices. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett is the most obvious element of this, obviously. Uh, Kavanaugh, who recently, in a concurring opinion during a recent case, I think it was the case having to do with either Pennsylvania or with Wisconsin, more or less resurrected Bush v. Gore, (laughs) cited Bush v. Gore, even though uh, those justices who decided Bush v. Gore said that this should not be cited as a precedent. Um, Well, that was then, this is now. He's basically set the predicate for um, considering whoever appears to be ahead on election day um, as being the presumptive winner and that any votes counted after election day would have the effect of overturning the apparent winner, um, (laughs) which is just insane. Um, But he said it, and uh, that's, that's him putting it out there. So uh, they're they're prepared for the next Bush v. Gore. Okay, so that's that's part of it, right? There's the packing of the circuit courts and the district courts, which the Republicans and Trump have been doing relentlessly for the last four years. They blocked a lot of Obama appointments. Obama wasn't exactly very aggressive about appointing judges, um, and the. Um, Democratic Senate uh, before 2015 still observed some of the niceties. You know, they allowed home state holds and and they observed the filibuster for quite a long time. Eventually they they knocked it down because it was being abused. But then after that, they got blocked. Nominations got blocked. Um, The Republicans held open a bunch of seats on the circuit and on the in the district courts and the federal courts. And since then, they've just been a appointment and confirmation machine. And they've been appointing judges that agree with their point of view and that are going to decide in a way that's consistent with what they want. That they're going to decide on these, and I'm talking specifically about elections here. They're going to, <laughs> they're going to decide on the side of Trump. Mark 
my words. I don't think you need me to tell you that, but that's simply what's going to happen. That's that's the mousetrap that they've set for us, right? And that's been a multi-year project. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the Supreme Court has been a multi-year project, and and this is, you know, Republicans take the long view. My larger point is just that this is these elements, uh, essentially preserving white power by keeping this president in office and keeping um, the the Senate in in Republican hands, um, or preserving the prerogative of the GOP, uh, the ultra conservative GOP even if they lose the Senate and even if they lose the presidency, this, this whole project is um, something that's been underway for decades, right? And it's become a lot more obvious because it's be- the problem f- facing them has become much more acute. I mean, <laughs> back in the 1960s, in 1968, when Nixon was running, um, Pat Buchanan famously told him that what they were going to do was divide the American population in two parts. They're going to divide it in half and that that would be okay because they would end up with a larger half because that was literally true back then. There were a lot more white people than anybody else in those days and they could take a larger chunk of the white population and create a majority, a ruling majority. Now that's eroded over the decades just because of a number of factors that I won't go into. They're pretty obvious. I mean, it it took decades. It took many years for this thing to emerge, but people saw it coming. I worked in, uh, I've worked in advertising for decades, right? And I remember in the 1990s and early 2000s, I I worked in an agency and one of our clients was a actually an insurance company. Um, they had kind of a progressive CEO, uh, African-American woman, and they were acutely aware of the demographic shift that was happening in, in the United States. And this CEO sort of led the effort to market to non-white constituencies in the United States to market affordable insurance products to non-white constituencies explicitly because they were aware and they they had the research, they had the numbers, um, they, they talked about this quite consistently and pretty intelligently. They were just saying, you know, by the year 2030, um, the United States will be a majority-minority country. And this was back in the late 1990s when it wasn't obvious to everyone, but to those who were paying attention, it was kind of clear where the country was going. And, and this company, it just so happened was, was trying to, was trying to be proactive about positioning itself, right? They weren't the only ones paying attention to this. (laughs) So if you'll remember in 2000, um, we had a presidential election and the person who was ultimately named president did not win a majority of the popular vote, but won the electoral vote by about two votes. 
was very close. Um, won the state of Florida uh, by virtue of the Supreme Court, which was a conservative majority then as well. It was the Rehnquist Court. And uh, they handed the the election to uh, George W. Bush. I won't go into detail about Bush v. Gore. You can look this up. Maybe you live through it. But it was a necessary evil for them, right? Because they couldn't win. Because the the demographic problem that they face had progressed over the course of the, the preceding couple of decades. And it had reached a point where it was becoming hard for a essentially, you know, mostly white party. And, it, and I will say that, you know, George W. Bush tried to court the Latino vote, Latinx vote um, in Florida, in Texas, um, and and they got a they got a bigger um, portion of it than is typical for Republicans. Um, so they weren't you know they weren't entirely trying to shut these people out, but they kind of had to do that. They had to win that way. Um, it was close, but not that close, right? And the Electoral College, which I've often considered to be the ultimate grandfather clause for uh, white privilege, bailed them out. And that was the first instance of that. Now we've had, we've already had, you know, over the last 20 years, we've had two instances of Republicans winning the presidency by losing the popular vote and winning the electoral vote. By the time we get to uh, Trump's election, it's much more lopsided. It's not even close in the popular vote. It's millions separate the two candidates. The Democratic candidate, even though as lackluster as she was, won three million more votes than Donald Trump. And yet Donald Trump ended up being president and had you know a, a substantial lead in electoral votes. The Electoral College is... As I said, it's that's the ultimate grandfather clause that that protects them from this demographic wave. The other thing that protects them is voter suppression. And it comes in many forms. It comes in the form of voter ID laws. It comes in the form of, you know, eliminating polling places. It comes in the form of um, preventing um, preventing people from voting or, or purging voter rolls, um, which is the preferred tactic in places like Georgia and Florida and other states. Um, you do a purge. Um, you purge people uh, based on mismatches um, in spelling, you know, slight differences between the way a person's name appears in their voting record and the way it appears on their license uh, just a, a broad range of different different ways to uh, approach this. The Supreme Court made it much easier by striking down portions of the Voting Rights Act in, during the Obama administration. Um, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, um, and you can find all about that elsewhere. But again, this is <laughs> that's part of the project, right? Another part of the project is gerrymandering. Gerrymandering, you know, dilutes the power of 
black voters, Latinx voters, poor voters, urban voters, more generally, and and the um, reapportionment and the uh, redistricting in 2010 was driven by the Republicans because they strategically approached it. They bought as many um, legislative, state legislative seats as they could get in targeted states um, and were able to drive the um, reapportionment process, the redistricting process, so that they wind up with a permanent majority, practically, so that Democrats have to win a ridiculous, lopsided vote count in order to get into office, you know, from a statewide perspective. So they they make the uh, House of Representatives a bit more like the Senate in a funny way, whereas, you know, uh, the, the numbers of representatives representing either side is is completely out of proportion with the number of people voting for that side. And, you know, again, this is something they have to do, right? I mean, and, and this is a conscious project on the right. Paul Weyrich talked about it, you know, back in the day. He was one of the founders of the, the moral majority. He was one of the founders of ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council that's been propagating all these, you know, reactionary laws across the country on the state level. You know, he said many years ago, probably 1980, that, you know, um, he doesn't want more people to vote. He wants less people to vote. We're going to win with less people voting, right? I don't want everyone to vote. Of course they don't. They don't want black people voting. They don't want brown people voting. They don't want poor people voting. They just want their own constituencies voting. And their constituencies are overwhelmingly white. And a lot of them are privileged. The majority are privileged, I'd say. But they drag along some slightly less privileged people as well who uh, you know, are driven by other, other factors, resentment. And disaffection. And then there's a lot of people who just kind of sit it out. But this is an ongoing conscious project on the part of the right to consolidate its power as it's losing the demographic battle in the United States. And they are losing that battle. But they are acting strategically and in a very smart way. In a very smart way, and the and the democratic opposition to this has been extremely flat-footed and ineffective. We've had the majority of people on our side for a long time, and we've just been flat-footed about it. And they've been able to put us into a box. Now, are we heading for apartheid? Probably not, but it'll be something like I heard someone comment on this. I'm trying to think of who it was. Um, I heard someone comment on this and forgive me for not remembering who the commenter was. I would give them credit if I could, but this is not my idea. All right. (laughs) But, uh, this is more similar to, you know, the late 19th century. That would be more like the type of restricted political regime we would be talking about here rather than apartheid. It's like apartheid. 
but it's like apartheid light, right? It just means winning elections is a heavier lift for people like us or, or people of color. Much heavier lift. You have to have overwhelming majorities in order to win. And then even if you win, you lose because they control the courts. And they can strike down any progressive legislation. And because you can never really have a supermajority in either the Senate or the, con- or, or the House of Representatives, or even on a legislative level in the states, because you can never really even get beyond, if you can, even if you can manage to get a majority, you can't get a supermajority, then, then they, they can limit your ability to, to push anything forward. Because their power is, by design, out of proportion with their numbers. Their numbers are shrinking, and they know how to do this. They know how to do this. They know how to maximize their power. I always kind of liken it to, uh, you know, like when a pond evaporates. You know, it might start out to be a big pond, and it gets smaller, and it gets smaller, and it gets denser, you know, until you got like what's left is this kind of slimy scum, this little puddle of pond scum. That's what they are. They're a freaking puddle of pond scum. Disgusting. Disgusting. Okay, that isn't very nice. But listen, this is what they're dealing with. They are losing the demographic battle. If they could reach out and bring um, Latinx voters with them, you know, obviously they'll they'll try to pick off some of every constituency. They'll try to find you know the more privileged sectors of any constituency and try to bring them along. They'll try to bamboozle people. But really, they just, the, the reactionary Republicans really just represent white people at their core. And that's a shrinking constituency. And they're going to try to stave off the flood for as long as they can. And this is how they're doing it. Over the course of decades, they're relying on the constitutional uh, limits on popular power, like the uh, Electoral College. They've been very strategic with reapportionment and redistricting. And they've been ruthless with the powers of the the Senate and the powers of the presidency. And as it's become more acute over the decades, they've become much more overt about it. So that now with the Trump administration and with Mitch McConnell and the, uh, the GOP caucus in the Senate particularly, but in the House as well, um, they're really quite open about what they're doing. What can we do? I don't know. Vote them out. Vote them out. That's the only thing we can do. And then consolidate and not take our eye off the ball. We need to turn the Democratic Party into a much more activist organization. We need it to be, I'm not so much saying from the inside, I'm saying we need to press them to be more representative of the constituencies that are becoming the majority of the country because that is what they, like it or not, that is what they represent. I know they want to try to get disaffected Republicans. That's fine. But really their core constituency is this growing pool of, of non-white voters and, and poor people workers, women, (laughs) you know, this is a, you know, this is the majority now, and it's a growing majority. 
it's a it's a demographic wave that's coming to wash over the Republicans. And what they're preparing for is holding it back for they're building a dam. They're building the wall. It's like Trump building his wall. They're building a dam to hold back the tide. And they're building it higher and higher and higher. Eventually they're going to lose, but if they can hold it off, you know, if they can hold it off for another two decades or three decades, um, that's good enough. Right? So, vote, folks. That's all I got for today. I'd like to hear what you have to say. I'm tired of listening to myself talk. I want to hear from you, dear listener. Please go to anchor.fm slash strange sound and leave a one-minute voice message. Or you can reach me through Twitter, at strange sound pod. You can also go to anchor.fm slash strange sound and uh, click on the uh, the Facebook link. I don't have a uh, custom Facebook URL because I don't. We're not very. I'm not very important, so <laughs> I can't. I can't contrive that. But uh, if you go there, if you go to the Anchor site and uh, click on the Facebook link, you'll find a Facebook page. You can talk to me through that as well. Uh, follow the show. Uh, subscribe. Um, we're on YouTube, but again, as I've said, they're they're merely rebroadcasts. Nothing unique there yet. I'll keep doing this for a while longer. See if anybody uh, responds to it or pays attention to it. Uh, we'll see. Um, if I don't start hearing from people, I might I might hang it up, but we'll see. Uh, I enjoy doing this, but I'm not going to do it for my own health. So. Uh, Let's turn this into a conversation. Uh, hope to hear from you soon. Hope you um, take good care. Uh, let's let's hope that we get good news on Tuesday. We shall see. Get out there and vote, people. Vote. Take good care. Keep your head together. Be well. <laughs>